This week on Myths and Legends, it's an Icelandic story of werewolves, trolls, dream monsters, and stinky husbands. The creature this time is a little guy in the forest who will pull your hair and steal your food, but only if you're average looking. This is Myths and Legends, episode 279, Prince Ali. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story is a saga from late medieval Iceland called The Saga of Spotted Ali. It's supposedly an early Snow White variant, but with werewolves, trolls, and Nightmare on Elm Street. My first time through, I honestly didn't see anything resembling Snow White in the story, but we'll talk about it at the end, and maybe you will. Anyway, the story takes place not in Iceland, but in England. But a version of England where everyone has Icelandic names. We'll catch up with a king about to take a three-year-long work trip, and a queen with some exciting news. Solbjort, the queen, turned to King MacArthur. She had news. He was packing. Uh, that, that's great. But he had to catch the retinue heading out of the city. He was king of England, and he was going to visit his barons and all that. It was a big naval expedition. He'd be gone for three winters. Could it wait? Solbjort smiled and stroked her abdomen. It could wait. It could wait. Nine months. The king turned to his queen. MacArthur said they... She... She was pregnant? She nodded. She was. They had been praying for this baby for years, and finally, they would have an heir, and... But she knew that this was big news and that he was in a hurry, but he didn't seem super excited. He said no. No, yes, he was. Super excited. So good. He was so amped to meet his daughter. Sobjort said... Well, they shouldn't get ahead of themselves. It could be a boy. Then he would have a male heir. She knew how obsessed all medieval monarchs were about having boy heirs. MacArthur said that was great for them, but he wanted a girl. What could he say? He was excited to be a girl dad. All right, well, this was awesome. So cool. If it's a girl, let me know and I'll be back immediately. If it's a boy, take him out to the wilderness and kill him. Love you. An arm shot out and Solbjort blocked the door. What? MacArthur thought that he was pretty clear, but yeah, he wanted the child to be killed. Anyone who refused should also be killed. Bye. Solbjort still didn't let him go. The king rolled his eyes. Okay, oh my gosh, he had a dream. If they had a son, he would have a long and difficult life. So naturally, the only solution was to kill him. He really had to get going. She didn't have to do it. Don't worry, he wasn't asking that of her. But someone did. Or they would die. He was also leaving orders with his advisor so that she didn't have to worry about people not carrying them out. He kissed the stunned queen on the cheek and left on his three-year naval voyage. Man, that was rough one enslaved person said to the other 
Oh, you mean tearing a newborn away from his crying mother to go kill it in the wilderness, or else we ourselves would be killed? The second person said. Yeah, exactly that. The first replied, hey, we're not gonna do this, right? Oh my gosh, no, of course not. This is all horrible, the second person said, tucking the infant in the shade of a leafy plant. Both of them walked back, and though they hadn't done it, nobody wanted to tell the distraught queen that they had carried out the order to kill her son. Meanwhile, in the forest, Gunny was aiming his bow and heard the cry. He parted the leaves. Huh. Oh my gosh, I am so pregnant, Hilder, Gunny's wife said later on that day. Her neighbor, who was out tending to his field, looked over. Uh, he didn't know she was pregnant. He only saw her and her husband every day. The woman patted her abdomen. Welp, maybe he should have his eyes checked. Because she was super pregnant, she coughed. Super pregnant was the cue. Come on, Gunny. Gunny quietly opened the door behind her and, ducking down where the neighbor couldn't see, reached out in between Hilda's calves to pour a pitcher of water. Oh no, my water just broke, Hilda said and hobbled back inside, clutching the pillow to her stomach. Ten minutes later, after a lot of screams narrating the whole process, the neighbor heard a baby's cry. Hilda came out with the child in her arms. The neighbor said that that was the cleanest newborn he had ever seen. Also, he and his wife had eight kids. That baby was like a month old, at least. Hilda ignored him, insisting that this was her precious newborn baby boy. She turned to her husband. What did they name him again? Apparently, the couple would give the child a name in the morning and then forget it by the evening, which, which seems like a problem they should absolutely see a doctor about. Still, despite a daily crisis of identity, little baby what's-his-name grew up, happy with Hilda and Gunny in the forest. Then, on his eighth birthday, the boy's dad woke him up. Hey, are you sleeping Ali Flecker? Which means spotted Ali because he had a mole on his face. The kid breathed a sigh of relief. Spotted Ali, he would take it. That would be his name. So, since this is a saga... All hero kids are strong and basically look like adults, even at the age of eight. So much so that when the king, who had long since returned from his naval trip, sent out invitations to the, quote, best men in the kingdom, Ali's name was on the guest list. He even got a seat at the table. No idea who was going from farm to shack, spotting out good-looking dudes, because Gunny and Hilder weren't even on the list. They had to sit back and watch all the good-looking guys eat with the king. When the queen spotted Spotted Ollie, she dropped her fork. The king looked over at her, and then at the man, on whose face she was transfixed. So, did you know that young man at dinner tonight? He asked later. She shook her head. There were a lot of guys at dinner tonight. The king said that she knew who he was talking about. She hung her head. Yes. She thought it was him. You see, the queen had long suspected that the enslaved people hadn't killed the boy in the forest because, well, they were terrible actors and super mad about being enslaved. 
But she had prayed. She prayed that the servants had disobeyed. The king looked at her with a stern look. In all these intervening years, she had hoped that they disobeyed. In all the years where the couple had grown apart, over that one order, his look of consternation melted and he embraced her. He hoped they had disobeyed too. That order had been the biggest regret of his life. Of course, as we know, they did disobey. And if you needed someone to stay cool under pressure and not immediately fold in the face of even the lightest of threats, Gunny and Hilder were not your couple. They gave up Ali so quickly. The king barely had to ask. Gunny and Hilder sat with their boy later on that night. The elderly couple embraced him. He knew they would always love him, right? Ali said, yeah, what was all this about? The couple said that Ali was going to go live with his biological parents now. They would be able to give him the life he deserved. The life they wanted for him, but one as farmers and hunters, they could never give him. They only asked that he not forget them. Ali, tears streaking the giant eight-year-old's face, saw his parents out. They hugged one last time, and the parents boarded the carriage. Their brand new horse-drawn carriage. Hey, didn't we walk here? The boy asked. The parents thought about it. Oh, hmm, you know what? We did, didn't we? Okay, so where did you get the horses? The carriage, and are those heaps of gold? The parents looked back. Oh, that was just like a thank you gift from the king and queen to them for taking care of their boy and for him to stay here forever. The boy, Ali, thought about it. Wait, did you sell me? The parents gasped. What? That was vulgar, sell? No, they just were leaving him here and just getting all this money and stuff as a thank you. That sounds a lot like selling me. The parents had this look of anguish. Sounds like, but oh, you're our boy and we love you so much. We want you to have a better life. Also, the king said that this would hold up in an audit. So, oh, bye, son. Love you. Remember us. Ali could hear his parents talking about which wall was going to get bumped out for the new hot tub as they wound around the forest trails. Luckily, Ali did love his life at court, and his biological parents were no longer actively trying to murder him. There were a lot of kids at court, too, and the story tells us that Ali had 16 playmates. The kid was happy, and as years passed, he didn't forget the elderly couple that raised him, and also maybe sold him? Regardless, he was grateful to grow up in the house of the king, his father, and in time, and in time, the king and queen repaired that relationship. He would train in the morning, sit with his biological father in the afternoon as the man passed judgments and saw supplicants, and in the evening, the warmth of the fire in the great hall would attract the greatest in the kingdom for a grand, mead-soaked feast. And Ali and his 16 buddies were always there. Except this night. The streets were empty, the fire was burning in the great hall, but the benches were bare. Ali walked in to see a single form standing, facing the fire. The doors closed behind him, by themselves. Do you know who I am? The voice asked. She turned, 
She was in the clothes of a bondwoman, which that's another term for an enslaved woman. Ali said he had a lot he was catching up on. It's no. The answer is no, she cut him off. Her name was Blatan. He had never greeted her. Ali said that that was, that he was sorry? He tried to greet everyone, but maybe he had never seen her? He could greet her now. Hi, Blatan, nice to meet you. Thank you for doing all that you're doing. We're a big team, big family here. Also, where is everyone? Too little, too late, Blatan said, walking up to him. And everyone? Everyone is all around. He still didn't know where he was, did he? At that moment, Ali could hear something. A scuffling, a screaming. People were yelling his name. He, wait, how did he get here? The real Ali had collapsed at dinner. Everyone noticed that. No one noticed Blaton, also unconscious, in the corner. You are going to leave now, Blaton commanded the boy. Ali could already feel his body obeying Blaton's command. You will journey into the forest, and you will find my sister. Not. She's a troll. You will be her new husband. Blaton's face twisted into a grin. All this because I didn't say hi to you? What is wrong with you? Ali spat back. He could feel his feet moving toward the door already. Then, he thought about it. He was in his own mind. He wasn't powerless here. And if she was in his mind, maybe he was in hers as well? He willed himself to stop. There will be no fighting it. Not forever. He wasn't that strong. He would go into the forest. But maybe, if he was linked to her in this way, he could use her own power against her. Worth a try, at any rate. You, Ali said, trying to project the same amount of authority Botan had. You will go forth into the kitchen and become a stone slab. The cooks will kindle fires on you that you will feel, but never be able to put out on your own. If I should escape from not, you will be cloven asunder. A look of surprise washed over Blaton's face as she, too, began to be pushed back toward the kitchen. The room began to collapse and come apart around them, both gasped awake in the real world. Ali rose to his feet and took off in a run for the forest. He was fast and caught them all flat-footed. No one was able to stay with him, and he moved in such a way that they couldn't track him. He was gone. Everyone was so preoccupied with the prince rushing off into the night that no one noticed Blaton make her way to the kitchen, slowly, lurching with every step, fighting it. She went to the kitchen, cast her spell, and a new stone slab thudded to the ground in front of the fire. The enslaved people who had just finished a dinner that no one was going to eat because they were all chasing the prince arrived in the kitchen to see the new stone slab they guessed they were also expected to install. Full disclosure, the story is pretty sparse on how exactly Ali manages to get Blaton to turn herself into a slab and submit to torture and eventual death if he makes it out of the troll's grasp. There hasn't been anything to indicate he can actually use magical powers, 
So I kind of stranger things it there, where he used the link between them to turn her own powers against her. Ali, though, was riding along in his own body as he made a straight line for Knott's cave. He shoulder-checked trees, scraped through thorn bushes, and tumbled down rocks. The cold nights went straight through the thin shirt he had worn to dinner and the soft leather shoes, what was left of them now, anyway. He had been walking for 18 days when he came to the foot of the mountain. He pulled out the axe at his belt when he heard a stop, and his body obeyed. Ali wasn't ready to take control back, and he collapsed. He looked to the woman who had given the command, and she wasn't what he was expecting at all. Yeah, I'm only half-troll, Hlathgarther said. Half-troll, half-human. I look more like my dad. And yes, I know where you're going. You're going to see my mother. Not. Ali said that, sorry, he had just been walking for 18 days and he was on the verge of death. He wasn't in the mood for jokes. Lathgerther said she didn't understand. Ali said, oh, he thought she was making a cringy Borat reference. Sorry, yeah, no, he just remembered that the troll's name was not. Okay, so back on track. Her mom. Lathgerther looked nervously to the peak. Yes, her mom. Ali would climb to her cave. She would offer him food. He shouldn't eat it. She would demand that he lie with her, also resist that. She would be weirdly respectful and wouldn't force things. He wouldn't wake up until after she left the following morning. At that time, Lathgrether would send her dog up to bring Ali supplies. He only needed to hold out for one more day. She said resume, and the spell took over again. Ali used his axe to hook in and climb the cliff face to Knott's mountain lair. We'll see what happens in the troll's lair, but that will be right after this. Things went down pretty much as Hlothgerther had predicted. Not her mom, offered to feed Ali. He refused. She offered her bed. He also refused that. And then they both passed out. She from a hard day's work on the mountain. He from walking for 18 days straight with no rest. He woke well into the next day. Sparing us a whole Odysseus thing, Ali managed to squeeze out a hole in the cave later on that day. And there he found Hlothgerther's dog with food, clothes, and a pack with everything he would need for the trip. The trip where? Well, Ali didn't exactly know. But he was going to go anywhere but the cave of the troll who wanted to keep him forever and make him her husband. Our city is ruled by a maiden king. The guard at the gates yelled out to Ali. Ali had been walking for months. Wandering, really. He had no idea where he was or how to get home. He was just trying to put as much distance between himself and the troll as possible. And seeing as he was now in Central Asia, he was mostly successful. Now, he was getting an orientation by the guard at a city gate. Ali said that this was the first city he had seen in weeks. Could he please come in? He could pay for an inn. The guard said, oh, he was free to come in. The guard was just informing everyone that the city was ruled by a maiden king who had just come into her patrimony 
Ali, who really just wanted a soft bed, said, "Uh, Okay? Why was the guard telling him this? The guard said, Isn't it weird? Ruled by a woman? A maiden king! I mean, it's weirder that you're calling her a maiden king. Just say queen. Ali furrowed his brow. He didn't have time for this. He did go see the Maiden King, as the story calls her. By the way, I guess this term is in The Northman, a recent movie I have not seen yet. The term struck me as odd, as did the actual guard in the stories declaring it at the gate. Anyway, like most traveling princes in Norse sagas, Ali refused to say his name or give any info about his birth, instead going by a fake name, Stuthathin. But we're just going to keep calling him Ali. Still, the Maiden King, Queen Torbjorn, and Ali got along well. His high birth was apparently obvious, and it was definitely his bloodline, and not just his better nutrition and education from years in the household of the king. Regardless, he spent a few months there, and then a few months more, as he and Torbjorn grew closer. Bro, I'm in love, Alfir, co-king of India, the story says, said to his bro, co-king Hugi. You hear about this queen they're calling the Maiden King? Well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask for her hand in marriage. Hugi said that this was unlike Alfir. Vulnerable, considerate, respectful. It was an interesting change of pace. Alfir said, yeah. It must be love. All right, let's go. He opened the doors of their palace to reveal the army. Tens of thousands of men ready to march. Hugi looked over to his brother. Oh, and if she refuses, I'm going to lay waste to her kingdom with fire and carnage. Alfir said. Hugi smiled and high-fived his brother. There he is. All right, let's go get you married. And how does this King Alfir look? Torbjorn asked her chief advisor, a guy named Bjorn, because why not be the most confusing? Bjorn said, you know, looks weren't everything, but Alfir was ugly and wicked. Also, the advisor said, while still putting pressure on his leg, he stabbed me in the leg with a halberd. So, you know, not thrilled about that. In the preliminary talks, Alfir and his bro had gotten in a bit of a scuffle with the advisor and the queen's men, and it ended almost as badly as it could have, with the queen's guy getting a halberd in one leg, a bunch of his men dying, breaking it off, and making a run for it with his soldiers. The queen said that she wouldn't marry him, but she did have a problem now. The advisor was the best fighter in the kingdom, and the only one she could rely on to put his life on the line for her. She wouldn't submit to Alfir's marriage, let's call it request, but she would need a champion. Let's pretend the whole room turned to look at the epic Norse hero after whom the saga was named. Ali said, oh, oh, him? Yeah, sure, absolutely. And like, I don't know, an hour later, Ali returned. Yeah, done and done. Just like that? The queen asked. Just like that, Ali replied. And it really was just like that. Turning Hugie and Alfair's men to kebabs, 
Ali and the team that followed him, eventually surrounded Alfir. They had already killed his brother, cutting off too many limbs. I mean, one is too many, but, you know, they really went for it. They told Alfir it was either die or go home. And like pretty much everyone else would choose in this situation, he opted for the go home option and said he would never bother the queen again. Wow, that's kind of amazing, the queen said to Ali. If he were of royal blood, he would be a pretty solid match. Ali shrugged. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, that he had saved her kingdom and was a secret noble outweighed the fact that he had been lying to her about his identity the whole time, and they were married. Boo! Boo! Ali heard from the street after their wedding feast. Wait, is some guy out there booing us? Ali asked his new wife, Torbjorn. She said she didn't hear it, but uh, they were the peasants. He couldn't take it personally. If they were angry, they were angry at the system. Sure, as nobles and royals, they actively benefited from and enforced the system, but uh, let's eat cake. Besides, he's probably saying, Woo! Woo! I'm so happy for you! Babe, for real, focus on all the happy people, not the one guy with the chip on his shoulder. Like me when I read one bad review in an ocean of amazing ones, oh, also thank you everyone for the feedback, we are beyond grateful, Ali just couldn't get that outlier out of his head. He told his new wife that he would be right back. He found the booer standing in the street, because the guy was a troll. Like, he was trolling, but he was also an actual troll. Also, he was the only one in the street. Oh, come on, Ollie said. They were doing the mind-meld curse thing again, weren't they? My sister is dead because of you, the troll howled at Ali. Blatan broke in half when Ali escaped. He had another curse for Ali, and this one was a good one. Werewolf time, baby. Ali could feel hair start to sprout on his arms, legs, neck. He focused himself. He didn't need to hold on forever just long enough to say something. You know what happened to Blatan? Ali asked the troll. Ali said that because they were linked like this, curses were a two-way street. The troll's eyes started to dart around in panic. Oh. You know, suddenly he was starting to understand why his sis turned herself into a slab and broke herself in half. The gray fur starting to creep up toward his face. Ali said that this troll had a lot to say and he would continue having a lot to say. Forever. The troll screamed and covered up his mouth, but he screamed through his hands. You won't stop screaming. Ever. And when I escape this form, the people of this town will find that they've had enough of it and take you to the forest to be executed. The afternoon of the feast, there were a number of disturbances in the town. The first was the troll, who started screaming and didn't stop. That would have been news enough for one day, but the giant werewolf that howled and loped out of the town, tearing into a few people and sheep on his way, was a bit more noteworthy. Guys, okay, where are we on this wolf thing? King MacArthur... Ollie's biological father, asked his knights. They looked to each other. Who was going to say they had no ideas and made no progress? Oh, terrified silence, huh? 
always the precursor to great news. Guys, if we can't protect the people from rogue werewolves, this whole thing starts crumbling down. The last thing we need are rogue werewolves and a revolt. I want ideas. The wolf had already killed a couple of guys, and when the soldiers went after it, jumped over their spear circle. So the answer was, of course, more circles. They knew the wolf was in the forest. They would encircle the entire forest and walk with their spears pointed inward. Four deep. He wouldn't be able to jump over all of them. The king had no other options and at least wanted to look like he was doing something about the wolf, but sure. More circles. Let's do it. And they did. And it worked, somehow. The wolf that had been laying waste to multiple kingdoms, who had somehow found its way back across a continent to MacArthur's kingdom, was snarling at the center of the ring. Spear after spear pointed at it. Wow, I cannot believe that worked, MacArthur said. All right, how should we kill this thing? You shouldn't, they heard from the back. It was Hilder. Oh, you're the woman I bought? Nope, adopted Ali from. What's up? Hilder said that the wolf... The wolf had come to the house that she and her husband shared the other night. So, she fed it. The king grimaced. Yikes. Well, pretty brutal, feeding it her husband, but props on surviving. Hilder said, no, what? She fed it from a trough, like just food scraps. Gunny was fine. Wolves are omnivores. Wait, did the king really not try feeding it to keep it from eating people? The king slapped his advisor on the back of the head. Feeding it! These are the ideas that they should be bringing him. She said that it was only because he approached cautiously that she had a chance. The wolf had looked her in the eyes. The wolf was Ali. The king said, uh, no, his son was cursed by a troll to walk forever. Maybe, he didn't really know. No one had seen him in years. Then he looked at the wolf, looked in the wolf's eyes. He didn't know how he saw it, felt it, but the king knew it too. This was his boy, Ali. He straightened up. Take it alive. We'll see how Ali cures his werewolf affliction, but that will, once again, be right after this. It took days. Days of the wolf snarling at the dungeon bars. Days of it crawling up the walls and howling. It took days, but Hilder knew that her son was in there. She wouldn't give up on him. She stayed awake too. Stayed awake as long as Ollie the wolf did. She couldn't let the moment pass. In many old stories, the wolf or pig or bear form lasts until the person goes to sleep. And then it can fall off this actually tracks with Norse descriptions of the werewolves and werebears, if that's a term. We've talked about it before, but berserker means bear shirt because warriors would wear a bear cloak in a battle, and perhaps with the aid of certain hallucinogens, believe they were, in fact, bears, and fight all that more intensely. Hilder knew that she would have only moments. As soon as Ali was asleep, she threw open the cell door and pulled at the skin, and it came loose. It fell from him. He didn't wake when the last of the paws slipped from his feet. She rushed to the fire and threw it in. Ali slept for days. When he awoke, he hugged his mom, thanking her. 
And back in Torbjorn's kingdom, they decided on that night that they had finally had enough of the screaming troll that they had in their dungeons, took him to the woods, and executed him. Ali recovered slowly, but he did recover. He reunited with his 16 best friends, and they wouldn't leave his side. Like, ever. Bathroom, shower, sleeping. He wasn't going anywhere. Unfortunately, he didn't have to go anywhere. I brought in the mind link thing before, but the next part is straight nightmare on Elm Street. Ali's 16 buds awoke to him thrashing in his sleep, choking. Blood was pooling in his mouth. He was dying. They got him up, shaking him so he woke. He was covered in welts, bruises, and cuts. His arm was broken. Ali shook. She had come for him. It was not. The original troll, to whose home he was forced to walk. She said he had killed her siblings, and she had given him wounds from which he would never heal. In fact, he would lie with them for ten winters, in agony, before finally succumbing to them. He would die a shade of his former glory and be pitied until he was forgotten. And not wasn't lying. No matter what Ricarther tried, the medieval physicians couldn't heal the prince. The wounds started to fester, and Ali's whole wing of the palace started to stink. Ali told his father of Torbjorn, and they sent word to his wife in distant Tartary. She arrived and took Ricarther to task. Ricarther was just going to let his son die? Ricarther shrugged. I mean, when she put it like that, it sounded bad, but the troll woman said it was impossible, so... And you believed her. Torbjorn was the only one who could put up with the smell long enough to care for Ali. As the pair sailed the known world, they stopped by every country, every kingdom on the map. There were no answers, no physicians that could help them, until there was only one kingdom remaining. Torbjorn knocked on the door, and the king who answered it shrieked and cowered in the corner, leaving it open, telling her he was so sorry for uh, whatever it was that he did. Did she want to conquer the kingdom? It was hers. Please, just let him live. She asked King Alfir to get up. She needed his help. So, you might be single soon then, he said. Too soon? Yeah, too soon. Sorry. Being the terrible person that he had been, he was trying to be better after losing his brother, the one that he had lost when trying to put her kingdom to the sword, he did know of a way to help Ali. The troll knot did have three more brothers. Legier and Lithier followed Jotnaxi. They had ointment that could heal anything destined to live. But even though they had this, it would be nearly impossible. They lived all the way at the world's end. It was a dangerous land, even more dangerous than the Middle Ages in general, and that is saying something. Yotnaxi rules a land full of giants, ogres, trolls, and all manner of venomous and poisonous monsters. Torbjorn rose from the table. She would go. Nearly impossible wasn't impossible. And she had to do everything she could for Ali. Alfir told her that he thought she would say that. He was outfitting her ship for the journey with supplies, weapons, and soldiers. He would help in any way he can. 
mainly because Ali had helped him become a better person. Sure, he did so by killing Alfir's brother and most of his friends, but Alfir guessed he needed that wake-up call. Also, he was still super scared of the power couple because, well, they had killed his brother and most of his friends. It had been a long overland journey through what was a wild, forbidding land at the world's end. Ali was in agony the whole way. They lost warriors to poison and ogres and monsters in the forest, but a palace loomed ahead. Jotunoxi's lair. I mean, a lair has kind of a sinister vibe to it. Can we say stronghold? Even fortress? Jotunoxi asked when they arrived. Also, the shipwright here and the long overland journey, that was a bit of a way for humans to come. He looked at Torbjorn with a grin. Especially ones as beautiful as you. I didn't get your name, ma'am. Torbjorn smiled back. Oh, you. She was Gunvor, daughter to the Earl of Russia. This stinky, stinky man was her brother. Gunvarthir. He was very sick. They came here, to this lair, sorry, stronghold, at the world's end, because Jotnoxi's healing abilities were the stuff of legend. Jotnoxi settled over to Gunvor, a.k.a. Torbjorn. He would heal her brother. But his fee was her. He wanted her to be his queen of the scary, scary place. She said that this price was a good bit steeper, but not one that she was unwilling to pay. He would need to throw in a little something extra. Her family was being cursed by a certain troll woman. Not. Torbjorn wanted her dead. Done, Jotnoxi said. Torbjorn said, wait, what? Isn't she your sister? Yeah, but she's kind of the worst. I'm lawful evil and she's like full-on chaotic evil. But the take-home point is that we're both evil, so I don't have a problem with killing her. And I don't really like her anyway, so I'm not even particularly conflicted. I'll leave in the morning. While I'm away, my brothers will heal yours. She thanked her betrothed. He shrugged. No worries. After all, they were going to be family. So, when it comes to killing siblings, there are less brutal ways to go about it. I would assume I, I love my siblings. There are less brutal ways, and then there's what Jotnoxi did. He gave his sister not a big bear hug, and then tore out her throat with his teeth. That done, he returned home with the good news to even better news. He was getting married. Tonight. Torbjorn and his brothers have put it all together in his absence. They had invited like a hundred ogresses and their husbands, the story specifies for some reason. Torbjorn had really thrown herself into the planning and that she had planned for literally gallons of ale to be shipped from all over her new scary kingdom. Later on that night, right before the wedding was about to take place, right in the thick of the party, Jotnoxi looked at the ogresses and their husbands out there on the dance floor doing the Icelandic ogre version of the electric slide. He really appreciated how Torbjorn was getting along with his people. He heard that her brother had healed up nicely. That's just great. Jotnoxi looked around the room for him. He wanted to say hi to the scamp. 
He hadn't gotten close last time on account of the smell and... Wait. Ali walked through the crowd, standing before Yotnaxi, sorted aside. Yotnaxi shook his head as he looked at the couple. <gasps> he was Ali! That kid that all of his siblings were freaking out about and also dying because of. Ali said, yeah, but he thanked Yotnaxi for taking care of that for him. Yotnaxi slammed his fist down and swore he would have his revenge for that thing that he himself did when he killed his own sister. Torbjorn said that she thought he would feel that way. A horn blew outside. The wedding guests, in a drunken haze from Torbjorn's sinister over-serving, didn't stand a chance. When Alfir kicked open the doors to the palace and his warriors flooded in, bringing the fight to the troll family. In the fires of the hall, Alfir, Torbjorn, and Ali fought side by side. And when it was finished, Yotnaxi's head and body, in two separate places, were burned, along with his hall. The trio sailed back from the edge of the world together. They dropped Alfir off, who was just happy to help his scary new friends by putting his penchant for bloody, fiery conquest to use. For good, kind of? Then, they arrived back home. Ali maintained a relationship with his adopted parents and his biological parents. And, of all of them, Rickarthur, the king, was the first to go. Ali became king in his place. And he and Torbjorn were beloved by the people. Probably because they were super polite and friendly to everyone who worked for them. Because, yeah, it was nice and the right thing to do but also because you never know who might be capable of cursing you to go on a three-week-long hike and bring all sorts of troll-related problems into your life. I actually found an academic paper detailing how this is a Snow White story. And it is pretty interesting. It mainly has to do with Ali's many, many curses and resuscitations and remedies. I do like how it's Torbjorn, the queen, who saved the prince in the end. That was an interesting twist. I'll link the academic paper in the show notes. Next week, there are three stories from Korea that will make you want to hug your parents. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of 200 tiny plastic babies, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that are maybe as funny as hiding tiny plastic babies around your house and school for people to find. I hear that's a thing. For more info on the membership, check out mythpodcast.com membership. The creature this week is the Kaiban from the Philippines. It can be annoying to lose stuff. Gold coins, buttons, pictures... It can be even more annoying to lose stuff and then have an angry, one-foot-tall monster walk for miles to curse you for losing said items. They want you to take better care of your stuff. And no, they won't give you your stuff back. That's going into their treasure pouch. Consider it two lessons in one. The Kaibons are usually pretty chill little creatures. They stand one or two feet tall with their hair down to the ground. They have gold teeth and glowing eyes but in a way that helps them see through the forest and not in a I'm gonna devour you way. Their feet go the other way around, so they can avoid being followed in the forest, but if you did follow them, you'll probably just find yourself with a good time on your hands. 
They like to hang out with their friends, the fireflies, and play on their tiny guitars and sing all night. Their little purses are pretty precious to them though, and they contain all of the Kaiban's treasures. In fact, if you can get the purse from them, they'll tell you where to find even more gold and riches. Really though, that is such a bad idea. I don't really know what will happen, but as soon as you give that thing back, you're at the mercy of a creature that, at the very least, will get you lost in the woods with a horrible skin condition. Besides, if you're friendly, these things will be friendly to you. People who are kind to them might just get an endless treasure bag of their own. They really only do light mischief to people, unless people steal their children, but why would you ever do that? They do like to mess with people sometimes, by pulling their hair and then transforming into a bamboo shoot, or by stealing food off the fire. You can fix the latter by replacing food with rocks, that apparently tricks them. Another solution? Be really, really ridiculously good looking. Or not. You see, they are super awkward, and if they find a human attractive, they'll just freeze up and be unable to move, transfixed by the beauty. If they find someone unattractive, they will flee from them in disgust. So yeah, if you find a foot-tall creature pulling your hair in the wilderness and yelling at you for littering, congrats. You're average. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>